Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Life Lessons from Sport and Beyond. I'm Simon Mundy and this week I am joined by the former Special Forces soldier Jason Fox, star of SAS Who Dares Wins as well as Netflix's Inside the Real Narcos and author of books including Battle Scars and Life Under Fire. And the theme of this episode is trauma. Jason was medically discharged from the army with PTSD and is now a huge mental health campaigner. Here is a taste of what's coming up. I was fortunate enough to be trained and a part of one of the most amazing elite units in the world. I knew how to be a soldier. I've never been taught how to be a husband, how to be a dad, how to manage bills, how to manage the broken down washing machine. You know, this is why things like my marriage broke down is because it scared me because I didn't know what I was doing. I really enjoyed talking to Foxy. He's a very likeable, honest and open guy. And he's part of Mentor360, which is a really interesting new app that helps people become more self-aware and develop healthy new habits. Now, before we get to our conversation, I want to give a shout out to my sponsors whose ongoing support allows me to put out weekly episodes. As you may know, I am a CBD fan. And in my view, Pure Sport CBD are the most interesting brand on the market. Whether you're anxious, stressed, struggling to focus or sleep, they've got something for everyone. In their fantastic range of oils, capsules, balms and nootropics. I use their unwind oil, but if you want more get up and go, their clarity oil could be just the ticket and their nootropics are great. Now, Pure Sport CBD products are triple lab tested and trusted by lots of the world's top athletes for a reason. And you can get 20% off by using the code LIFE20. That's LIFE and the number 20, all one word, at checkout at puresportcbd.com. Right, 
Let's get to this week's conversation with Jason Fox. Foxy, how you doing, mate? Hi, Simon. How's it going? Yeah, all good. You? Very well, thanks. I'm very pleased to see you. I've had your mate Ollie Ollerton on, and I know you and he go way back even before the Marines. He went down an absolute storm, so I'm expecting big things from you. Ooh, no pressure. <laughs> We're talking basically about emotions, about trauma, about all that kind of stuff, and any subject like that has to start right at the start, i.e. with childhood. So let's start with yours. I know your dad was a Marine, but I don't want to ask that because I heard you say somewhere that you were actually quite a fearful child. Was that right? I don't think it was fearful because my old man brought us up pretty well, to be fair. There was just a few times when I was really young that um, there's, there's only really one time, really, that actually when I sort of say that, that I remember. And that was when I went on a trip away and we had to do an abseil. I was, must, I was, I don't know, I was like nine or ten I was at the top of a cliff and I just remember being scared and crying and walking away because obviously there's no pressure then. I walked away from it. And I think that did actually, as a childhood memory, stick with me. And so whenever I, in the future, in my early future, past that, went to push myself or challenge myself, I always remembered that as a, as a motivating factor into pushing past fear. Even though I was only young, like nine or ten, I still felt like I'd let myself down. So I'm sort of glad it happened. It was my wake-up call as to my introduction to fear. So I walked away from that being a little bit annoyed at myself. I was probably crying more about that than than the fact that I was scared of it. It's held me in good stead, I think. Right. I think it's yeah. something that I'm glad, I'm glad it happened. And it's only now since I've left the military and I start talking about mental health and I start talking about my journey with it that I've actually started to take time to look back and reflect on all these different things that I can remember and try and make sense of them. Yeah. And so with regard to that one early memory, I would suggest it was, it has subconsciously pushed me into embracing fear. It's not that I'm ever fearless. You know, I'm a human being, I experience fear, but I am well aware of what I need to do to manage it. So you've dug a lot into your past and things you've been through and you've obviously been through a hell of a lot having spent so long in the marines and you know later down the track when your mental health suffered you even contemplated suicide i know you got into psychotherapy and that's been hugely beneficial to you and we'll come back to that later but during your therapy did you even dig back into your childhood so before all the the marine more obvious stuff perhaps um it's funny when i first started the therapy it was when I was in the forces because obviously that's when I started to sort of experience, I suppose you'd call it negative thoughts. You'd go back to childhood, but it, we never lingered there. I didn't, the sort of therapy I was going through at the time would be like, right, don't be surprised if you go back to childhood. And I was like, well, I'm not really going back to my childhood. The things that bothered me and put me into a fit of depression or a wobble or whatever you want to call it were things that were happening now. It was like, when you look at my timeline of when shit got real, it was during my time in the Special Forces, and that comes down to, like, marriage, breakup of marriage, having a kid that was sick, going to war as well at the same time. That was the crux of it. My childhood, actually, was, apart from 
my childhood was actually pretty normal. You know, I grew I grew up in Luton. Yes, I got into trouble. I wasn't an outstanding kid academically. I enjoyed the outdoors, and that was about as good as it got. Got beaten up, beat a few kids. Up, you know, <laughs> I was in the middle of the pack. There was nothing, nothing untoward or anything odd that happened, other than usual normal kid stuff. Therapists would be like, "Don't be surprised if you go back." And I'm like, "Okay, fine." happy to do that but it never really happened in a way never that really came up interesting because your parents separated didn't they 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 so I'm one of I'm the eldest of three and they split up after my youngest brother left home and he's 10 years younger than me by the way I don't mean to pry just yeah. in, the reason I say this is I think a lot of people think oh my childhood was fine until they dig into it and then invariably we are left with imprints of some form during our childhood by perceiving events not to lay any blame or anything like that but invariably it does have an impact and so often it is people who say oh it was fine and then they later dig in and like actually I've actually been pretty impacted by this so I just was wondering if if that resonated Uh, I've I've dug into it I've looked into it because I'm so fascinated by the mind and behavior and what I have gone through and what I've subjected myself to and other people, it solely buck stops with me. My upbringing as a kid was pretty cool. We'd go out, my dad took us fitness training. We used to go out and camp. He used to make sure that we learned how to navigate. We'd put together scrapbooks for our holidays, which weren't necessarily, they weren't, they weren't extravagant. We never went abroad. We didn't have that much money, but they were pretty cool. We used to go on sports, you know, sports tours with my parents and camp out. And out mine and my brother's childhood was pretty good. I'd suggest my youngest brother might have might have experienced something slightly less so, but that's only because towards the end of his time at home, they were probably just not get. They it's not that they had a bad relationship. They just I think they run their course. By the time they had um, split up. I was 10 years into the Marines. I joined the Marines at such a young age and I threw myself into that and I absolutely loved it. And it became selfish and I made that first. So you joined the Marines age 16, following in your father's footsteps. So was it preordained? Nah, I, um, I had other aspirations when I was a kid, ridiculous ones like graphic designer, couldn't draw. So that was, (laughs) thought it sounded good. Uh, then when I realised, you know, around the 14, 15 year old mark that I was not exceptional at school, I was all right at sports. I enjoyed being outdoors. I enjoyed that sort of practical side to life um, that I thought, well, I need to do something here. I'm getting into, tr- I'm probably going to get into trouble living in Luton. Um, in fact, I was, I was going down that route. I was easily led. And um I just was like, right, I'm going to join the military. And if I'm going to join the military, my dad was in the military. I didn't really follow in his footsteps because ultimately he joined as an officer. I joined as a, a non-commissioned and enlisted guy. But that was a drive, you know, You know, with him having been in the Marines, I was like, right, I'm going to give it a go. And I found it hard. I found it really hard, to be fair, as a 16-year-old leaving home. It was a, definitely a driving force for me. But it wasn't the fundamental thing. In terms of what you found hard, was it the more the mundane things as opposed to the hardcore training stuff? To begin with, it was everything but like 
at the beginning of it all, it is the mundane things that that's all you do. Everyone thinks joining the military is cool. You know, you do all this cool shit, but you don't, you, you learn, you get given so much equipment and all you get taught to do with it in the beginning is look after it. And that was a massive shock to the system. It was like, hang on a minute. I've never ironed clothes. I've never washed clothes. I've never hung them up to dry because I've got my old deer to do all that. And uh, it was, yeah, I I wasn't even going to bed before two, three in the morning and then getting up at five. It was brutal. Thank God I was 16 and could like ride the storm. (laughs) Just because you were ironing shirts late into the night. I was was ironing shirts, shorts, blanketing trainers, like whitening them out. Oh, mate, honestly, putting tram lines down the front of your trousers, which is obviously a big no-no, and then having to re-iron them. Mate, using starch when you iron stuff. (laughs) (laughs) You've been beautifully domesticated by the military. Hats off to them. I have to the point where it's fucked me up, excuse my friend, because I cannot leave the house without ironing my clothes. I honestly (laughs) got... And and the iron is probably the most prized possession in my house. Like if it starts Amazing. to up, top of the range, top of the range one. You got top of the range. Uh, one? Not. It's like simple but good, but it's not top of the range. It's not what the ones that are attached to ironing boards and like gas clothes from the bottom as well as the top. Okay, quick quick ironing tip then, Foxy. What's better? Because I haven't worked this out. The spray water or the steam? It's a mixture, mate. It's a mixture. Ah. And actually, if you want to really do it properly, you're better off getting a separate sprayer, not reliant on the one in the. Um... Interesting. Yeah, but the but the water thing is more for if there's like really difficult creases. What the hell am I going on about? <laughs> difficult creases. Starch is really good for that, but obviously it's a thing of the past and it can leave marks if it burns. Interesting. Okay, there's our clip for social media for sure. But as well as teaching you the intricacies of ironing and starts and all that jazz, I've heard you talk about the way they taught you not to be phased by your emotions. What do you mean by that? Um, it's not a conscious thing. It's a subconscious thing. So what they do is they throw you into so many different situations. And each time they throw you into a situation which you would deem as being similar, they throw another curveball in. So there's different ways that that situation can go wrong. You know, they're always putting the pressure on you. They're always trying to see how you bounce back from that failure or that that sort of initial failure of something looking like it's going wrong. That in the end, you learn not to be too hung up on how you're feeling in a moment. You go into autopilot and you learn to go into autopilot to basically be a little bit flexible in your approach to whatever it is you're trying to do. In terms of throwing the curveballs and all that, they turn you into these you know, incredibly elite fighters, physical specimens, mentally strong, by just gradual, gradual, incremental expansion of your comfort zone. Yeah, that is exactly it. The, the, you know, that I would, I'm, I'm going to be biased because I am, but... The Marines are very good at expanding how big your comfort zone is. And they do that by throwing you into uncomfortable situations and leaving you in there or expecting you to have the discipline and the determination to stay in that uncomfortable position. Don't give up. And then you naturally, as an individual, you learn how to make it comfortable, as in you learn about a situation which can only mean you're comfortable with it, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. To take a bit of an example, then, if you're put in a situation, I don't know, let's say a stress position, which is physically uncomfortable, emotionally uncomfortable, and you have to hold there for extended periods of time, is the fundamental challenge of it just not listening to that voice in your head that's saying stop? Yeah. For for something like that, I mean, it changed. Being comfortable with uncomfortableness is it, it varies on your approach to it, but when it's something as reasonably clear cut as a stress position, it is zoning out. I would suggest a stress position is one of the easiest things to deal with because yes, there's pain, but ultimately you just got to find a different place. You got to find your happy place. Envisaging yourself running through a lovely meadow with stream running beside you or whatever. <laughs> do that. I'm not saying that's what I do, but yeah, yeah, yeah. right, whatever. <laughs> I'm bringing up memories from somewhere. But... <laughs> um, well, okay, so what are one of the harder things then, if stress positions are easy? I'd suggest things like being in the middle of the battlefield, getting shot at and people are dying around you. Okay, yeah, and we're definitely building towards that, but I meant in terms of the training. Oh, the training. Um, just, well, not dissimilar to that, really. You, you're, being, uh, you're being tested on how you react to situations. You're being tested on your ability to carry out tactics and procedures and so you'll get asked to go on say a patrol and you're like okay you go into that and you'll be doing everything as per the book says you should be doing it then all of a sudden they'll throw in a curveball they'll encourage that whole situation to make you fail and they're wanting to see what you do in that moment of make or break as an example you could get ambushed right. and it's only it's only make-believe you know the, the bullets aren't real but the stress is on you are intense because you're trying to prove to these people who are experts that you're good enough to serve with them and that you know that's that's a really uncomfortable situation you're being tested beyond anything or any way that you've been tested before especially at school you know I, I joined at 16 which means the only thing I could recall or call up upon in my experience was school the most stressful things I did there was either sat in exam setting in an exam or running the hundred meters you know it wasn't too hard to deal with so it was a you like I said it was a jumping in at the deep end and having to find the courage to persevere with it before we get on to marine life and particularly sort of post 9 11 a couple of things else I've heard you talk about you've talked about now being able to spin negative emotions what do you mean by that well it's probably a slightly misleading way of saying it yeah. because ultimately an emotion is an emotion. It's not negative sure. or positive, but we as humans do naturally type them into different categories, whether that's positive or negative, you know, mm. like having fun, having, you know, being joyful, that emotion we'd say is probably positive. Whereas being fearful, we would suggest it's negative because it can have a negative impact on you, but ultimately having fun can have a negative impact on you if you allow it to. And so what I do now and what I have done before, before, you know, subconsciously is like, as an example, fear, I've, I've found myself in some very fearful situations and I can feel that emotion taking a hold on me. And I'm like, whoa, and it can, as it did on the top of that cliff as a nine-year-old turn me into a bit of a snotty mess where I don't do anything. I decide to walk away from it. That, I would suggest, is allowing that emotion to take charge of me and me not take charge of it. Whereas now, during my military career and now and beyond, I recognise that I'm feeling an emotion 
and the combat indicators start flagging up, you know, like my palms go sweaty, my mouth's dry. I can feel that it feels like my ass is going to fall out, you know, all these things. And instead of allowing it to turn me into that snotty heap on the floor where I'm just like, do you know what? I don't want to do this. I'm like, right, this is, this is my, myself, my body telling me I need to start switching on. Right. What am I doing with my feet? What am I doing with my hands? Is the equipment I'm using up to the job? If not change it or redo little bits here and there. Yeah. Okay. I'm all good. And I'm prepared now to move on and get this, whatever it is done. It's the same with anxiety. If I'm feeling anxious, I'll be sit, I'll be, I'll make sure I sit down or I'll do what I need to do to explore why I feel anxious. And then I'm like, right, this is how I move forward in a more positive way with a more positive outcome on myself. I thought that was a fantastic explanation. And so just to recap and also ask you a question. So that whole thing about our propensity to put certain emotions in, label them as good and other emotions as label them as bad, or actually emotions are just emotions, just like thoughts are just thoughts. And so spinning negative emotions, actually, it's about feeling, being aware of them, recognizing them, heeding perhaps the message they have, but then choosing how to use and how to respond to it rather than reacting and becoming, to quote you, that snotty mess. Yeah. So for me, an emotion is natural. We're allowed to have them and should allow ourselves to experience them because it's just basically our body (laughs) or our mind telling us something's going on, something's changing, but we should really, really not react emotionally to them, which is, if you think of anger, Anger is a classic one where people react immediately and they normally find themselves in the shit. And if you'd have just allowed it to be that sort of messenger, that indicator where it's telling you something's going on here that you need to pay attention to, then and then you allow yourself to think about what your response is, more often than not, you probably won't get in the shit. We shouldn't get angry at emotions, really, because ultimately it's just that they're, they're just there. And they're just sensations really in our body, like you say, with a message. But there is, it does seem to be a propensity. I certainly used to have it and probably still do to a certain degree, but much less so. And I'm sure in society generally, and particularly now with how many ways there are to distract ourselves, particularly through devices or whatever, but it's a propensity to lean away from emotion, but actually it's like turning towards it. Mm. and facing an emotion like completely and actually i think if you can stay with the sensation of it it doesn't necessarily have to turn into this wild storyline in your mind it's the turning away from it or resisting it that's when the thoughts start going crazy yeah and it's not you're not actually i totally 100 percent disagree with trying to sort of like turn off your emotions or or shy away from them because another classic is Waking up, say as an example, this is a really bad analogy, but you wake up on a, and a lot of people do this because I wander around London and see it. You wake up on a Monday morning and feel low, negative, say. And most people will not acknowledge that. They won't look into why they feel like that. They'll rush past what they need to rush past, get breakfast done, have a quick shower, whatever it is, rush out the door and be an absolute nightmare to be around running around, bumping into people. Whereas if they'd have taken the time to sit on the end of the bed and be like, why am I feeling like this? Let's explore. You know, it doesn't need to be too long, but at least allow yourself to explore it while you feel a certain way. You're better placed then to work out what you need to do to get yourself back into a better headspace. You'll be a better Mm. person to be around. And even if you haven't quite worked it out, 
you'll feel pleased with yourself because you've actually like given yourself the self-respect to just explore something and you'll be like well i might not have worked it out but at least i've taken the time out for myself to really have a think about it you know that's a really good point and as well you then don't necessarily need to be pulled from pillar to post by it i was thinking of the example earlier of if i'm well rested well fed relaxed my emotions and thoughts tend to be pretty settled if I've had a, you know, let's say a big weekend, let's say a wedding or a stag, a few of them on the go, and then you wake up in the morning, invariably your emotions and thoughts are a bit haywire. Then if you don't take that time, it can be easy to then get lost in them. It's like, no, it's just they're being coloured by the fact that I've had a big one. <laughs> but you, you don't need to take it seriously. But do you know what else? That leads on nicely to a little point I have where people say, oh, how do you get resilient? I'm like, ah, people don't have resilience. They don't, we don't own resilience. Resilience is how we best prepare ourselves for something that we don't know is going to happen. So if, I would say, imagine if you had, if you could like have an experience and then rewind and have it again, but the lead up to that experience is different. So Imagine we use that experience as a car crash. And in each car, you do it twice, but each car crash is exactly the same, exact intensity, exact horrificness. But the one of them, you have proper sleep leading up to it. You have proper decent food. You don't have arguments with partners. You don't have bills to pay. You have gone to the gym and you get decent workouts in, all of that. And then the other one, you have no sleep, you've been on the piss, you've had an argument with your missus, you've got a bill outstanding, you haven't been to the gym, you're not in the best physical shape. 100% the second one will have a bigger impact on you and you will probably suffer some form or a worse version of PTSD or some traumatic reaction because your pool of resilience or however you've prepared yourself, even though you're not preparing yourself for it, you're just preparing yourself for life, you know, it's not been on point. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. This shows, I think, you know, you've done clearly a lot of work on your emotions and and digging into things and understanding yourself. And you've obviously got this fascination with your mind and uh, done a lot of work on yourself. To go back, though, part of it is was drawn of your time in the Marines, wasn't it? Because I know you had this period of time, a long period of time where actually you really enjoyed it. You were traveling around the world. Mm. And then obviously 9-11 happened and you spent like nine years in war zones. And obviously, as you touched on earlier, in the most horrific situations a person could imagine, let alone be in. But I've heard you talk about when you're in those situations, going through experiences like that, there's no processing of emotions at that time. It's just on to the next thing because mm. there's no time. So even if people are friends of yours are dying or people are suffering terrible injuries, you have to keep moving on. And as a result, actually, emotions don't get felt, don't get processed. Is that a fair description? Yeah, I think so. I think the the, the nature of that beast is it's so relentless and the, the operational tempo of when I was there was was brutal in the as it should be, you didn't really have an awful lot of time to process stuff. And so you just bounced on to the next thing. Yes, you would, you would pay it a little bit of attention, a li- probably lip service, but ultimately I never really processed it for a long time. And so I'd say it did catch up with me and I hadn't really thought about it. I was probably also coming back from those trips away, going out on the piss not really sleeping, training hard, but ultimately they're not really 
they're not going to have a positive effect on me. And so that's why, you know, and then everything else, you know, everyday life, you know, being at home, arguments, bills, kids being ill, all that sort of thing. Uh, it also compounds the issue. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, it was 9-11 changed millions and billions of people's lives, really, in the way that everything sort of panned out afterwards. But yeah, I think, you know, there was obviously, there would there would have been better ways for me to deal with that. There would have been better ways for me to reflect over a certain period of time. But it's the nature of the beast, so you can't really do anything about that. And I read an article that you were featured in, and in some of the comments at the bottom, there was a guy, I think it was, who clearly had been in the military as well, and he spoke about it. And the number of people, for example, then leave and take their own life because that trauma's kind of, piling up i guess and mm. it's only when you stop that it's there and needs to be faced that is ultimately what happened to you isn't it so i know you talk about you found yourself in a ditch and for the first time you were just overcome with fear and you wanted to be that 10 year old boy back at home with mum. so that was burnout that was the start of the end really yeah i think so there was a lot that went i've come a little bit further on from that because that was i didn't actually want to be the 10 year old boy it was just a it was a vision that i that sort of materialised in my mind because I was obviously like, this is a little bit hairy. I mean, I've been in situations not dissimilar, but for some reason it started to take its toll. And it's only recently that I've looked back, had a think about it and been like, well, why was that? And it's like, because there was a lot of other things going on in my life, which means I didn't have the capacity to deal with that as well as I would have done when I was younger because I was going through a breakup. It wasn't nice. There was a kid involved. You know, all those other outside influences were having a huge impact on me and didn't give me the capacity. If I was just like a younger guy that didn't have that other noise, yes, I'd have been scared 100%, but I'd have probably had more headspace to deal with it. It comes down to that resilience thing. You know, if you've got mm. yourself into a good place and you're, you've set yourself up to deal with hardship by having all your sort of dirty washing clean, folded and packed away, then you, yeah. Do you see what I'm getting at? I'm yeah, no, I do. I do. So it's interesting because obviously on the one hand, you're in this war zone that sounds nightmarish to someone like me and I'm sure most people, but it's actually a lot of the other things that are causing you to some degree just as much stress. So whether it be relationship stuff and... Yeah, I'd suggest more so because if you think about it, by the time I got to that phase of my life, I am without... I'm not blowing my own trumpet either. I was fortunate enough to be trained and a part of one of the most amazing elite units in the world they prepped me big time I knew how to be a soldier I did not I've never been taught how to be a husband how to be a dad how to manage bills how to manage the broken down washing machine the golf that I've got sat in the garage won't start all those things I've never been taught to deal with the other stuff on their own is actually manageable and you sort of enjoy that because you know you're good at it. And I was, you know, this is why things like my marriage broke down is because it scared me because I didn't know what I was doing. Whereas the the soldiering, I did know what I was doing. But it just so happens it's always the career that gets impacted when yeah. you are going through. It's the bit that has to give really in the end. Yeah. If you're in the military, you get trained in whatever it is you need to be trained in. If you're in sport, you get trained, you know, how to hit a tennis ball, how to hit a golf ball. At school, you get trained to learn X, Y, Z. 
And yet when it comes to actually the most important stuff, so emotional stuff, relationships, finances, there's no training. And not only that, there's a stigma about it. I remember a mate of mine whose marriage was sadly breaking down and I suggested, look, have you thought about couples counselling? And he was like, no, we're adults. We should be able to deal with this. And it's like, like, what on earth? But why? There is this stigma, isn't there, about getting help in areas like that. Yet you'd get help with your golf swing, you know, but you're an adult. You should be out here at golf ball. When you say it like that, it's ludicrous, isn't it? You're like, hang on a minute. Well, this just doesn't make sense. If you've got an issue, you always go out and learn a little bit about it or get some lessons. It's bonkers. It really is bonkers, yeah. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So you've had that period where, you know, you're reaching burnout or whatever, and then they diagnose you with PTSD and burnout and all this kind of stuff. You were embarrassed about it, weren't you? And said you had tinnitus. Yeah, I kept it hidden for a long time. And then when I went through the med board, the medical board that you you have, and they were like, right, we're, we are going to discharge you. That's the best thing for you. I was reluctant, but obviously they're professionals. So I'm like, okay, that's obviously the best thing for me. So for the next, I think it, it didn't take long. It was like three months. I signed off work, so I didn't really have to see anyone anyway but in, within three months I was going to be a civilian if I did speak to anyone it was like oh yeah I'm, I'm leaving because you know my hearing's below a certain grade and you know that's what I've got to do and and that was my get out of I suppose at the time it was a get out I didn't have to talk about the thing that had a huge stigma in my, in my head I could just talk you know it's, it's no no issue having bad hearing is it it happens to lots of people so there yeah. we go there's no weakness there or perceived no, no. weakness there. It, well, it was an out, It was like, well, yeah, of course. There's loads of, you know, the more big bangs that I've been a part of, then surely that means I'm a bit more gnarly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was, it, was a, it was a facade. So it's 5th of April 2012, wasn't it, when they said, the solution to your problems is to leave the military. That was, and- that, you're right. The 5th of April 2012 was my, they call it a TX date. You're like, right. you're missioned from the, the military, you're gone. 
that's interesting that they said, right, we've established what your problem is and it's being part of the military. So leave the military and that will solve your problems. I mean, was there a sense of abandonment at all? Because that's clearly not the answer. I don't know whether I felt abandoned. I just remember waking up on the 6th of April and feeling worse. Yeah. I definitely didn't feel abandoned. I just felt alone. I'm quite a pragmatic person. I am well aware that the military is a big old machine and it's got its actual mission isn't to care for people and it's yeah. got so much on its plate that I do get you know it's there to uphold the security of our country and, and implement foreign policy and all that sort of bollocks that goes with it but and I did sign up for it you know I'm well aware that you live by the sword you die by the sword but I did I did and I don't feel any badness towards it even now I just did feel very much alone and I didn't fit and I thought to myself hang on a minute I was told I'd feel better and I don't what is the issue here yeah so you started medicating yourself so you were drinking a bit just trying to take yourself away from your feelings and I was already I was on medication I'd been prescribed medication from the medical side of things in the military so I was already on antidepressants which I absolutely hated. I, I persevered with them because I was told that they were the right thing, but I just, I didn't like what it did to me. But I I then, when I sort of like came off those, which basically made me feel pissed anyway, I just ended up going on to another antidepressant, which was booze and sort of yeah. drank a fair bit of that. It was, I suppose it was a bit of an escape from the reality of be feeling lost. Yeah. So what we've spoken earlier about in terms of turning towards your emotions, facing them, acknowledging them, taking the message from them, all that kind of stuff. At that time, you were doing the opposite of that. Yeah, everything that I'd got taught and everything I knew, I just completely threw it to one side and ignored it. I, I, in fact, I didn't ignore it. I I went out of my way to run away from it, whether that was with booze or just or just doing what we said earlier, doing the opposite of what I said earlier, where I wake up miserable or whatever, instead of exploring why, I just try and busy myself with something else. That is such a common thing. Fast forward a little bit, you found yourself on top of a cliff, mm. uh, contemplating taking your life. And that was the trigger, wasn't it? Where you were like, right, I'm either going to do that, or I'm going to turn around and face it. And so that was the point at which actually the recovery began yeah it was it was it still took a bit of time because ultimately i was like something's happened here for me to get to this point a point where i never thought i'd get to and actually something that i never understood because you know you hear about people committing suicide and you're like well why what's that all about i'm glad i actually went through that because it does make me understand things a lot more you know everyone says oh i mentioned this um not long ago but Everyone talks about suicide being selfish, but when you're in that situ- when you're in that moment, you're not thinking selfishly. You're actually thinking selflessly because you think that you're so much of an impact on other people that you're making life harder for many people around you. That you're like, do you know what? I'm just going to make it easier. You don't think about the impact, and you don't think about the ripples that it causes. You just think you're not of sound mind, and that's yeah. why I do it, obviously. So, to an extent, I'm glad I went through that, but. I did have a, maybe it was because I was selfish. I was like, hang on a minute, I don't want, I want to try and fix this. I'm not done yet. I'm not quite ready. Even though I think I'm no use to anyone, including myself, I'm not quite ready to just wrap my 
hand in. I didn't know what I needed to do, but I did know I needed to make a change. And I walked away and the change took a bit of time and it was, it was easy. It's easy to say anyway. It was, it was, I need to be honest with myself. Now it's no good saying I'm being honest with myself because I'm saying I've got an issue. You have to on it. Like I was saying that I was saying it for a long time before that saying, Oh yeah, I've got, you know, hands up. I need to speak about this, this isn't this. But ultimately in my own mind, I was like, yeah, whatever. I'm not really going to address it. I'm not really going to. And so that set in motion, being stood on top of that cliff, that set in motion, me working out what honesty to myself really was. And what was it? To actually go on the journey of self-discovery and learn what I needed, reteach myself what I needed to do within my mind. Because I was spending too much time dwelling on the past, thinking about the what ifs and, oh, I'd failed at this. And I love being a soldier, but I can't be a soldier now because I adopted a victim mentality towards myself and that needed to change. I needed to be honest about the fact that I had got myself into a situation that I wasn't proud of. Yeah. Just on the thoughts that pass through your mind, like when you're at that low ebb and they're very critical to yourself and lots of people can obviously relate to that to varying degrees. And we spoke earlier about emotions and how they come and go and, you know, we might label them as good or bad, but they're just emotions. What's your take on the voice in your head and and thoughts then and, and relating to them? Because we can easily get lost in this narrative that comes up. Let's say when you're burnt out or hungover or whatever, that's like, oh, goodness me, my life's terrible. Or you can go the other extreme and be like, we all know someone like this. I'm so wonderful, etc. But ultimately, it's just thoughts. And I, for me, the more you can have a bit of distance and take your thoughts with a pinch of salt, that is fundamental for me. Yeah, same. I think um, we've all got the we've all got the the doubting voice in our head, and we should listen to it. But we should again, you know, keep a balance because that doubting head also keeps our ego in check, and the ego doesn't help us. I don't. I generally don't think that. And I think it's a difficult one because we all have different voices, you know. Yeah, lots of them. Yeah, yeah, lots of them. But I think they're there for a reason. We shouldn't you know we shouldn't dismiss them mm. and we should listen listen to them but not always act on them or no, take them as fact yeah not well 100% yeah the voices are like the new the news now i like to try and vary what i look at and what i listen to just so i get a i get a rounded opinion as much as i possibly can but even then i'm still take it all with a pinch of salt. Do you know what I mean? A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, you want to stay informed, but don't just go hook, line and sinker for what you're told. And yeah. that's the same with the voice in our head. I think that's actually a really nice analogy because it depends which news channel, like you say, you, you switch on for what type of, or which newspaper you read for the analysis of the news you're getting. There's some value in the information in there, but it, you know, see it for what it is. Yeah. You know, don't just get lost in it. Right, so... What's the name of your psychotherapist who was really fundamental for you? There's been a couple, to be honest. There's been a guy called Malcolm who loves to stay out of the limelight. In fact, they both do, but I'm going to bring him in a little bit. <laughs> Malcolm was is a good confidant of mine, and I chat to him still. Me and a guy called Jamie, we, we set up Rock to Recovery, which is an organisation that supports veterans and their dependents when they find themselves in a transitional phase of their mind or whatever you want to call it. Uh, he helped us and we use him now and we call him Yoda because he's <laughs> a great guy to be around. But for me, I went on a journey where I met a lady called Alex 
she's a psychotherapist to name one of a few things that she is and we used to go for walks and she sort of reset me or she helped me find the path where I retaught myself what I was doing when I was a youngster because I think the only people that can the only person that can fix you is you of course you, yeah. you, you might need guiding yeah someone to hold your hand through that and so in terms of processing emotions that needed to be processed or uh, getting a bit of clarity how important was the talking that you did with Alex it was very important the weird thing is so this was the great thing about doing my book was when we were doing the book Matt who is the writer was like mate what do you think you know it would be great if we could talk to your uh your th- psychotherapist and I was like mate no chance she's a hippie she's disappeared into the ether she lives in a TP. not going to happen he said, what's her name? I says, oh, it's this. This is, it's quite embarrassing considering I was a special forces operator. And, maybe yeah. and he comes back the next day and he's like, is this her? And he's found her, <laughs> he found her, on, he found her on LinkedIn. And I'm like, oh, right, yeah. He said, well, this is her number, so give her a call. So I was like, okay, that's great. Anyway, I typed in the number, press send, and her name come up on my phone. She, I said, I had her contact all the time. And I was like, oh, my God, what the Anyway, so I'm, I'm mega digressing, but we ended up getting in touch with her. We went down, uh, back down to Devon, where she lives, to basically reenact a walk. We'll do, we'll do the same route of one of the walks that we did, but chat about what, what it was like. And I was like, going around this walk, and, I, and, and this is not detracting away from what she did, but I was like, well, you know, Alex, we only saw each other like four or five times, had a couple of chats, and she was like, Jason, we saw each other for 18 months, like every other week. And I was like, Wow, I was like, I can only remember like four times. It's bonkers yeah. how you know when you're yeah. in those weird places afterwards that it just, oh, no, yeah, what like those in those conversations were so important, and I got so much from them, and yet my mind condensed them into four chats. To what degree then did talking with her help you process traumas that you'd been through, whether it be on the battlefield? with your marriage, with your children, anything like that? I think the talking was really important. It wasn't a forced agenda. I wanted it to be forced. I'm like, ah, because you turn up to those things, you're like, ah, right, fix me. Say something now that is going to make me feel better. Yeah. And obviously it must be like the bane of all psychotherapists' lives where they're just like, we're just going to go on a chat. Yeah, yeah. We're going to sit in. Because actually part of the, sorry to quickly interrupt, part of the skill of psychotherapy is actually in the listening, isn't it? It is, yeah. I think that's one of the that's the key to any sort of person that's in a position of support is to listen. Because mm. sometimes, like I said, it's that person is going to find their own fix, their own tools to fix themselves. And sometimes you just need to listen. There might be the odd snippet that you chuck at them that gives them a little glint of light that they follow. But yeah, it is the listening. But she did she. I say she listened. She she threw so much. Of course, yeah. Um, advice, not advice, but just ask questions and all that questions stuff. Questions yeah. and ask, yeah. And I think there was one bit. There was one bit, and I'm sure you're gonna get there anyway. Where it was that was the that was the light switch. Where I was like, ah. So we'd obviously gone through the process. I've talked about what I needed to talk about, or thought that I needed to talk about. And then she was obviously like, right, we're ready for this now. Bosh, have some of that. Okay, so tell us about that. That was just, again, being like, it was sort of my decision to go out into the, and do windy walks in the woods. 
but I think she was sort of angling it to be that. You know, we, we did the first session in a or first few sessions in a bloody clinic, and I was like, I fucking hate this room. Yeah. You know, she said, well, "What do you want to do?" And I was like, "Well, sit on a park bench, go for a walk." She goes, "Great, I've got the perfect place." Anyway, we'd done that quite a few times, and then we were walking in this sort of very very rural area. We just saw a kid. She said, "Oh, look, there's a little girl there playing. Just watch her." And I'm like, "Fucking, that's weird." And I said, "Yeah, okay." And she said, "Look, see how she just see how that kid just doesn't really." And in the space of time that we were watching her, she'd fallen over herself, cried, got back up and cracked on with being a kid and being inquisitive and doing stuff. And she was like, she's living in the moment. She's mm. like not paying to, you know, she will learn from the past experience of hurting herself, but she doesn't dwell on it. Mm. She's not worried about hurting herself again. She's just cracking on with life. Yeah. She said, we need, you know, we need, I don't know whether she said this to me, but I definitely took it from it. We need to spend more time acting like a toddler. Don't obviously don't forget about your, yeah. your diary dates or your your Zoom meets and all that. But just live yeah. in the moment a bit more because we spend so much time not enjoying life. As in, life is now. Yeah, it's, it's not yesterday and it's not tomorrow. It's now. Yeah. We're actually alive now, and yet we spend so much time worrying about the decisions we made yesterday and what might happen tomorrow. It's a huge waste of energy. Spot on. You know, yesterday doesn't exist and tomorrow doesn't exist. Like you said, it, it's the eternal now. It's always now, isn't it? I was talking to Sam Harris about this. And it, let's say you've got something coming up in four days that's worrying you. If you worry for that four days, that's a complete waste of four days because yeah. it's going to happen and you're going to react however you're going to react anyway. Yeah. But to what degree have you been able to embrace this? And, and how did you embrace this? Was it just that eureka moment? Um, it's been a work in progress. It still is. I do things now that help me. I've become boring. Boring's good. Yeah, yeah. Embrace boredom. I do things now that um that facilitate me not being in a position where I'm constantly anxious about something I've done or something that might happen. I think it's taken a bit of time because I've trained my mind. I still get anxious. You know, there's a few things that are going on in my life, and but what I do is. When I feel it happening, I'm like, right, hang on a minute. Why do I feel... Okay, I'm allowed to feel like that, actually, because something's coming up in a few days, but don't waste any more energy on it. You know it's coming. It's unchangeable. Let's go and get a good night's sleep and look at other things to do. Um, I think it's just been a work in progress. That said, yesterday, there was a few things that ran over and the day got ahead of itself. I ended up rushing around I got back. I I had to drive somewhere because something went wrong. I drove back and someone was in the way, and I was like, oh, and they were blatantly not supposed to be there. And I got out of the car and I was a bit, you know, I was like, mate, what the? And he's like, dude, I've just. And I actually sort of in that space of time of seeing someone else's eyes, I was like, mate, do you know what? I've had a stressful day. I'm really sorry for sort of like losing. And I actually was embarrassed about my foot initial reaction, but then we actually had a laugh in the process of the fallout from suddenly me realizing I was being a bit of a twat to be honest with you I'm going off on a tangent but my point being is I am still a work in progress and I think we always will be yeah always will be right like and I think but that's the thing is what you did there though is like you reacted that which is a totally normal human thing to do but then took responsibility apologized had a laugh done no more need to worry about it 
Yeah, but I was a little bit annoyed at myself that I didn't just before you know just before getting there where I and and the combat indicators, the old hairs on the back of the head going up, and I'm like, ah, uh, you might react in the same way. If say something doesn't go your way in the next thirty seconds, maybe you should just chill out. I didn't <laughs> blew off the handle, made someone uncomfortable, but yeah. But you apologised and had a bit of a laugh with him. You haven't been beating yourself up about it, have you? No, because the outcome was fine. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing. I had a big blow. <laughs> I had a family uh, bust up, uh, <laughs> not with my wife. but I like, the, I like the way that you've obviously just thought about it and then had a little gig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm wondering how much to say. But let's just say a member of my close family who I grew up with, you hit each other's buttons more than anyone else, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, and I lost my rag. And um, But then it's like, okay, put your hand up, take full responsibility and be like, do you know what? I don't want to do that again. So next time I will learn from that. But then after I'd sort of taken the lesson from it, apologize, take full responsibility, not need a resp- any apology back the other way. What's the point in me now beating myself up or being like, you know, you're a bad person because of that? No, no, I made a mistake. And I took responsibility for that. And I apologize. So done. As far as I'm concerned, no more shame required. I think that's the better, the better way to be in so like 100 percent, you're not trying to stop being stop being human you know mm. you're just very i think it's a better way to approach things you know do you know what when i've made a mistake i'm going to put my hand up and yeah i'm going to say whether i need to say sorry or do you know what that wasn't a good thing i think that i think you get more respect from that as well yeah yeah 100 percent. see someone you know if you're on the road and someone makes a mistake and they put their hand up i'm like ah, Fair play. Yeah, because it takes bravery, right? I was just thinking of, you interviewed a bit of a random one here. So you interviewed Popeye, right? Didn't you? So uh, Pablo Escobar's hitman, okay, in The Real Narcos. So he was able to justify killing lots and lots of people because he was like, corrupt government, blah, blah, blah. So our mind, it just made me think, our mind is so good at justifying our behavior. So therefore, even in an argument, you go, yeah, yeah, but I reacted like that because you did X, Y, Z. But actually, if you can be brave enough to go, no, what I did there was, that should be the end of it as far as I'm concerned. If you can hold your hand and go, no, I did the wrong thing. I regret it. I apologize. Boom, boom, end of. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. It's a better way. It's a better way to conflict manage. Absolutely. Right. So last few things. That childlike approach that Alex suggested, the little girl that you saw who fell over and started crying and then cracked on and was in the moment. And obviously, as we get older, the voices take over, don't they? And it's a bit more like, oh, there's more history to reflect back on and more things coming up to worry about. And we get lost in thinking. So are you able to let go now of those voices and not get lost in them, not get lost in thought as much and be in your senses, if you like, what you can see, what you can hear, what you can taste, what you can feel. That to me is the now, right? Yeah, I am. I think, I think that is as, as educated as a response as I'm going to be able to give you. Is I genuinely do think that I do not lose myself in the noise. Yes. I, I still hear the noise and, yeah. I embrace bits of it. The emotions I still experience, but I'm, I've positioned myself into a, in a way that allows me to deal with it in a way that I'm happy with at the moment. The noise, I love that. Which leads us nicely. So you've, the thing about you, Foxy, is with your book, Battle Scars, wasn't it? So mm. it really details your emotional journey as opposed to your hard man journey even though there's obviously all of that and I think a lot of people have given you a lot of credit for the fact that it wasn't just a and we went in and did James Bond stuff and and got out and 
blah, blah, blah. And you've obviously been on this real mental health journey, which has now resulted in you getting involved in Mentor360, right? Yeah. So, so this it's an interest. It is a slightly interesting story, Mentor360, and how it came about because the founder and the driving force behind it is Bertie, okay. who is a very, very close friend of mine. And he was in, we served together. He did very well at that job. He stayed in a lot longer than I did. And he left not that long ago. Anyway, when he was leaving, he was like, I want to do something. Because a lot of his job before he left was to do with the welfare of people and human performance. And he'd experienced things throughout his life. His father committed suicide. His eldest stepson has had his issues and his journey with mental health and, you know, performance and stuff like that. And Bertie was, I want to do something about this. But then what also happened was after I left the military, before this crazy media career cracked off, I did go back a few times to that unit and I delivered a presentation on my journey with mental health. More as just to like, well, I'm being open and honest now. And if you can take anything from it, great. If you don't, no worries. And I just basically explained my journey through the back end of my career. And Bertie was in on one of those chats, presentations. And he came up to me afterwards. Like, and he was like, mate, I feel like I've let you down. And I was like, mate, you haven't. He says, well, you're talking about all these things that we should have been looking out for amongst our friends, our peers. And I missed a lot of them. And I was like, yeah, but that's not your issue. This is, that's why I'm here. And it really did. We've chatted since and it resonated with him. And he was like, well, I want to do something about that. And that was born Mentor360. And then I met a few people. Obviously, I brought Alex in, who we reconnected with, introduced her to Bertie. There's other people, content writers and creators within the app who are, in my opinion, at the top of their game in their fields. And it's basically not, it's not a preachy thing. It's the, it's, an amalgamation of people who are like right we understand that life is difficult it is a battlefield here is some things that work for us and there's lots of different people in there because we know there's lots of different people out there and what it is is it's trying to encourage positive habit change maybe you change habits in a positive way so you're trying to embrace positive habits that then make you feel better prepared for life there's also bits on you can it, it can go from finance management all the way to sexual relationships mm. and there's some people who are experts in their field that chat about that and then there's mentors that might work might be known to people who talk about what works for them like i've got my formula and i talk about what i do yeah how i become this boring person yeah well that's your routine isn't it i watched your video yeah. on it and i thought it was fascinating actually from your cold shower through to all these little things in your day chatting to your mates checking in with your mates every day that's a key thing but these are little things that you know will keep you thriving rather than surviving is a quote i quite like you yeah that's yeah that's a great way of putting it actually and yeah, there's, so there's all those things. There is emergency response. There is like tabs where you can phone, you know, it directs you to 999, the NHS. It doesn't detract away from any of the medical services that mm. are out there on offer. So, but it is just, the other thing about it was, and I spoke to, you know, me and Bertie have had a great discussion about this, is everyone says that these things, that's where mental health does yeah. go down the swanee. But then these are not going anywhere. So instead of trying to deny them, you might as well try and own a bit of that's what we call the battle space. Yeah. And in doing so, you 
create a force for good through an app because apps are the way things are going to a certain degree anyway. Yeah, no, so that's totally. where it's about. I've done loads of self-exploration things, veering from the shamanic through to the therapeutic. Some things are quite expensive. Therapy is, is not cheap, for example. So to have something like this on your phone, it could make a huge difference to a lot of people's lives, couldn't it? I mean, because it's not going to break, it's not going to break the bank, for example. No, it's, you know, 40% of the, the app is, is free and of uh, 60%, I think. I can't remember. I'm doing a very bad job. <laughs> let's, round it, let's round it to 50%. Yeah. He's gonna kill me, but 50% <laughs> is there. And then there's obviously a premium side because ultimately the app has to flow. Of course, yeah. yeah. Improve and deliver. So, yeah, it was it was difficult to work out what was right, but we're here to... Yeah, and, and it's still going to... Compared to 18 months of psychotherapy, it's a drop in the ocean, right? And look, look, I understand that. You know, I've had people email me since I took this off the BBC sort of say, uh, how can you have adverts? It's like, well, look, I've still got to yeah. dress our little girl in, you know, school uniform. I've still got to get her shoes. She's still growing, you know. And, yeah. and so you, you've got to strike that balance. But I had a look at it, the Mentor 360. I watched your video. I had a look through it. And I think I think it's um, a fantastic resource because there's things like Headspace or Calm, you know, meditation apps, all this kind of stuff. But to have something that's got all this variety of, like you say, tools that have worked for you, because there are different things that work for different people. To, to have something with all these different options, I, I think it's a, a fantastic initiative. So, yeah, I really take my my hat off to all of you. I think it looks uh, it looks cracking. Thanks very much. I mean, big shout out to Bertie and Shanyan, who are, are a big driving force behind it, if I'm honest. You know, it, it, whatever he puts his effort into normally is very good. Well, hats off to him. Last couple of questions, just for you quickly. Trauma. How would you define trauma? <laughs> That's a big one to finish. Uh, trauma, I would suggest, is an unexpected experience that shocks your system. Yeah. Whether that's physical system or um, psychological system, it's you know traumatic things aren't normally expected, are they? Have you heard of a guy called Gabor Mate? I have. He's very into trauma, and he says it's not the event, but it's what happens inside, which is actually a good thing because if it was the event itself, you'd be stuck there forever. But actually, because yeah. it's the reaction inside, you can unravel that a little bit. And I thought that was a really nice description because. You know, it's easy to think of trauma as only big stuff, but actually it can be quite little things, but it's yeah. how we react inside to them. You know, the, your example where you had all this stuff on the battlefield, but actually so there was stuff going off in, in relationships with your children, blah, 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 you know? Yeah, that's correct. I think, it, uh, yeah, that's good. Oh, he's, he's brilliant. I'm desperately trying to get him on the pod. Here's a good example for you, okay, right? So I had to take my wife to hospital a couple of years ago. Yeah. And... uh I had to take her to A&E, it was before COVID, at about 10 at night. So we had to get our little girl up out of bed, put her in the back seat of the car, took her to A&E. And uh, anyway, she was stoic, like absolutely stoic the whole way. We we're like, oh, she's absolute walk in the park. My yeah. parents came to get her from A&E and took her home, put her to bed, know more about it. Anyway, in the last few months, we probably six months, we started playing this game where we do name your emotions at night, which is, by the way, the best game ever for any parents out there. Uh, and I go on about it a lot. So we play happy, sad, worried, excited, funny. Okay, so you got happy and sad that day, worried, yeah. excited, looking forward and funny. And it's not just our little girl that does it, but we do it as well. Okay, and we take it in turns. But the, the mad thing was, we were talking about a sad and then one time she just suddenly was said, and then there was that time when, mummy, you had to go to hospital. 
and her face just went and she started crying and and it was obvious that she'd had this trauma when yeah. we'd when we'd gone to hospital and taken her but she'd been in that kind of freeze state we were none the wiser but it came out during this game it was like oh my lord you know and that shows to me like the power of for example talking therapies because it was like crikey but she's got it at six honestly we came out of there jaws on the floor what did you say afterwards to it i can't even remember i think we would you know we just obviously gave her a cuddle and spoke a bit about it and got her to you know share more about it but it was just the way this thing of that had happened two years previously just suddenly surfaced when we were just thinking it was like going to be talking about something sad that day. And it was, it was unbelievable. It just shows, you know, talking about emotions is, is the way to process them. It shows the power of that game that you invented. That is unbelievable. Well, I, I, I can't take the credit. I got it. I nicked it off Clark Carlisle, who's someone else on the pod. So I nick all good stuff. Just like I'm going to nick the, uh, get the extra spray for the ironing off you, Foxy. So. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad <laughs> So I, I get nuggets off everyone. And that was the great one for you. I'm going to steal that though. Happy, Do sad. Yeah. Oh, mate, it's so good. Uh, anyway, good. listen, Foxy, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. You're up there with your good mate, Ollie. This is the Premier League stuff. So I really, really appreciate your time. You know, your app sounds fantastic. Definitely worth checking out. And yeah, I've just uh, really enjoyed talking to you, mate. Thank you Love very much for your time. Thanks a lot, mate. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode with Jason Fox. I really enjoyed chatting to him. And besides the ironing tips, the thing that really stood out for me was recognizing that trauma can happen to us all. And it's what happens inside us as a result of what happens outside, which explains why something that is traumatic for one of us is not for another. Also, reconnecting with that childlike part of us that lives in the present And of course, recognizing that the voice in our head is not who we are. We're not our thoughts. We are aware of our thoughts. I'd love to hear what you made of it. Get in touch via social media at Simon Mundy or via my website, simonmundy.com, where you can also sign up for this week's newsletter, Monday on Monday, featuring three of the best nuggets from over 160 of these conversations dating back over three years. This week, looking at trauma, authenticity, and a way to release anger in a non-destructive way. And finally, if you could share this episode and rate and review this podcast, it would make a real difference. Anyway, that's it for this week. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.